0: Uh, in the in 1990s, there was a celebrity, you might remember him. His name was Jesse the Body Ventura. Do you remember Jesse the Body? Uh, it was a big time for him because uh, I knew him growing up as a wrestler out of Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, he, I knew him best for getting, you know, receiving pile drivers from Jerry the King Lawler. That's how I spent my childhood. But Jesse, uh, in his retirement, decided to get into politics. And he was an independent candidate. Uh, and um, Minnesota during a, a governor's election, and the pe- people didn't really like either one of the two major candidates, and so they settled on him. With, by a very slim margin, he won governor, and that made him into a celebrity. People wanted to talk to Jesse the Body Ventura, former wrestler, now Governor. And uh, he gave lots of quotes. He loved those interviews. And and somebody asked him about his religious background, and this is what he said. He said, organized religion is a sham and a crutch for the weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. You ever had anybody just say that straight to you? Organized religion, religion, Christianity, it's a crutch for the weak. How do you feel? How does that make you feel? I was listening to a lecture this week about Christ and culture, and his response to that quote was, Yeah, life's hard. Most of us need a crutch. My question to you is, What are you using for a crutch, and is it good? Does, does your crutch actually take the burden off of you, or does it put a burden upon you? Life's hard. We all need a crutch. I think that's true. I think, uh, you know, he's trying to put his finger on uh, that quote I love so much from Russell Brand. Russell Brand's a comedian from England who's really almost as famous for his struggles with heroin as he is for his comedy. And uh, in one of the interviews about addiction that he gave, he said, Everybody thinks I have a heroin problem. I don't have a heroin problem. I have a life problem. Heroin's the answer. And it was a bad answer life is hard life is a struggle but all these things really they, they, they get to the truth of what Jeremiah is saying to us in, in chapter 2 and really what he's saying to us through the whole book and that, that is this life is a problem does your crutch bring relief or burden life is a problem does your crutch bring relief or a burden Please stand as we read what I think is the most uh, incisive, insightful um, description of sin, maybe in the whole Bible. And you'll be glad to see it's a short text. Hear the word of the Lord. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, oh heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utter desolate, utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Life is difficult. We need a crutch for it. What, is your crutch helpful or not? That's the question we're going to try to look at today. And, and the first thing I want you to see as we unfold, as we unpack the, the nature of sin in this text, the first thing I want you to see is the context of it. What's the context? What does Jeremiah assume? He assumes you are thirsty. That that life in this world isn't enough. There's something missing. You have a need. You need something to drink. Being thirsty is not really that big of an issue for us. We live in a world where we have literally millions of drinks all around us, dying for us to give them our money. And it's kind of hard to be thirsty unless you try. Uh, in, in our world but but if you lived in an arid time before running water in in a in a desert region you would understand this picture that wherever you camped wherever you went you always had to know where the water was right and jeremiah is using that as a as a picture for for all of life that we need a well that's a given that's a given you see god has designed us uh, Larry Crabb wrote a whole book on this chat on this, really this this one metaphor called Inside Out. Back in the '80s, it was funny because I read it back in the '80s when I was way too young, and I was like, "Man, that seems important." And then I picked it up uh, this last week and was like, "Oh, I was too young back then." Now that I've lived a little, I see how hurtful and helpful this book is and he he says to in that book he says this god has designed us for attention free relationships he has designed us for tension free relationships with deep loving acceptance and the opportunity to make a difference that that's how he designed us he designed us to have perfect relationships with perfect people in a perfect world that's how you're created to function how's that working out it doesn't work out right because we're not in a perfect world and we're not surrounded by perfect people and we don't know how to love people perfectly and and so we end up getting hurt from the time we're very little we get hurt when we trust people we get hurt and we get our feelings hurt and we get our expectations crushed and after a while after a while we're like a uh uh, a friend of mine who he was his daughter was going into the rodeo, wanted to rodeo when, when we were in Mississippi, and so he he bought her a goat to practice on. She was going to do roping, and uh, and she ro- so they would you know ring the bell, open the gate, the goat would run out, she'd rope it and it would get, and pull it down, and after a while that goat got trained, <laughs> so it would just run to the spot and fall down. <laughs> That's kind of how we are. We know you're going to hurt me. I know you're going to disappoint me. So I'm just not going to let you. I'm just going to preveniently be disappointed in you. I'm not going to give you my heart. I'm not going to be my, make myself vulnerable to you. Nothing less than perfect relationships with perfect people in a perfect world will make pain-free happiness a reality. Can we talk for a second? I know what you're doing. You're blowing off that comment because it's easy to blow off. It's easy to just kind of go, yeah, 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 I know. I was made for perfection and I don't have it. Functionally, most of us don't believe that statement. Most of us assume happiness is right around the corner. And it's either your fault that I don't have it, or it's my fault I don't have it. Most of us don't believe That this world is broken. That we're going to be disappointed. That there is no way for us to, to function as we're supposed to function in a broken world. We think we ought to be happy. We assume everybody else is. And the fact that we're not happy is either my fault because I am deeply flawed or it's your fault. We don't assume that we're just going to be thirsty. And God is telling you, you need a well. You need a crutch. You can't function in this sinful, imperfect world without one. The question is not whether or not you need a crutch. The question is not whether or not you have a crutch. The question is how good is it? How good is it? And that's where we go from the context of sin to the nature of sin. Uh, He says these words and they're so, I I really want to just keep reading them to you because I want them to get branded on your, your brain. I want you to hear and feel the nature of sin. My people, my people have committed two sins. They have rejected me. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters." The the first thing we see about sin is that it's personal. That it, that it's that it's against God personally. It, it is we don't we don't think of that. But but God is a personal God. He is a Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the bedrock foundation of our entire theology. And we don't believe that. We think of Him as a as a tradition or as a rule, a law to be followed or a legend. Uh, but He's saying to us, "I'm a person." And I'm personal, and you've forsaken me. You, you've, you've turned away from me. You've rejected me he's a person he's a person who likes to see us being happy he loves us and he enjoys watching us enjoy a good meal or enjoy a good movie or uh, or enjoy your bodies and and exercise and he he enjoys seeing you uh, love and be loved Uh, and all those things he's happy because he loves to see us happy enjoying him but when we turn to something else he takes that personally When we turn for something else for life, he takes it personally. When we don't use him as our crutch to get through life, when we don't use him as that well, that that, that spring of life, he feels it. You ever think about about it that way? You ever think about how you might have hurt God's feelings? Uh, There was a, a movie back in the 90s, I think I, I quit watching movies in the 90s. I need to get newer uh, illustrations. I, I'm aware some of you weren't alive. It's okay, it's not a good movie. I don't want you to watch it. But uh, it had uh, Jessica Lange and Tommy Lee Jones, and Tommy Lee Jones is from the South. And he's got the only decent Southern accent in all of Hollywood, so I've seen all of his movies. And uh, he's in the military, so he's gone a lot, and his wife, Jessica Lange, t- is. Uh, adulterous she cheats on him all the time and she he keeps receiving her back and bringing her back and bringing her back and there's this really kind of touching reconciliation scene at the end of the movie and she looks at him and she says you know all those other men they never meant anything to me and for the first time the whole movie he lets his guard down and he says they all meant something to me And I think this is one of the few places in the whole Bible where God lets his guard down and he says, it means something to me. You've forsaken me. You've forsaken me. It means something to me. That's the first sin we've committed. And the second evil we've committed is that we've, we've... hewn for ourselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Again, they're 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 in an arid climate. They have to have water, and in real life, nobody would do this. This is, this is a, a crazy kind of uh, illustration he's using to show the ridiculousness of us not putting our entire weight upon God. He says, it's he says, as if there was a stream of living water out here, a stream of clean, fresh water, but you didn't want to drink from that. You went and you dug a hole in the ground, and they would put clay in these holes, it was basically making little rain barrels, right? And the rain would come into them, but it would be dirty and would run off the ground into these things. And and there would be, there'd be germs from the stable in these things. You didn't you really didn't want to drink it unless it was an emergency. You might use it for cleaning, but that's it. And and when the when the weather was the driest, the ground would crack and the cisterns would crack. When you needed them the most, they would go empty. Uh, even if they were full, they would make you sick. And God is saying that that's what we've done. We've, we've, we've rejected him. He's saying, here I am. I'm your crutch. I'm more than your crutch. I'm your life support system. But you didn't trust me. Instead of trusting me, you blamed me for the world being broken. And you turned away from me. And you went to, to things that you could make with yourself, your own hands. You, you looked to yourself to make things right. And those things just made you more sick. You turned to, to something to protect yourself. I don't know you well enough to tell you what you did. I can tell you what I've done, right? You know, the, the, the two cisterns that I've relied on my, my entire life from the time I was in first grade, my very first parent-teacher's conference, my first grade teacher, uh, my teacher looked at my mom and she said, you know what I've noticed about Ricky? He honestly believes he can do anything and then smile at me and charm me and get away with it. Guilty. And you know what? I still feel that way. I went through a church planner assessment, and one there's all these categories. How do you deal with conflict? And my answer, my real answer, not the one I verbalized. you know I know all the right answers, but the true answer was, if I just went to both sides and, and, and smiled at them, they would trust me. That didn't work last year. I couldn't smile at COVID. I couldn't smile my way into my son's basic training graduation. I couldn't smile my way into my wife relaxing and resting. I couldn't charm y'all back to church when they wouldn't let you come. Everything kind of fell apart. My cistern cracked when I needed it the most. Or maybe you're, maybe that's you, maybe you're on the other side. You know, my other sister has, has been control. I, I'm, I mean, it, as long as I'm in control of things, things are fine. I don't know if you know that or not, but if y'all just let me run everything, everything will be fine. Now, I drove in, you know, to the, the church this morning, as y'all did, and looked at the, I, di- I didn't see all the great work the construction team was doing this week. All I saw was that the sidewalk was bumpy. I was like, well, they better fix that. I'm sure they will. If you just let me do it, right? My counselor, he, he undressed me in one sentence. He said, you know, everybody from an addict's family has got control issues. You found out at a young age, if you weren't in control, you were likely to get hurt. I couldn't control last year. I couldn't find anybody to blame. I couldn't find anybody to fix. And, and that's why I, I legitimately ran out of gas. My, my, my cisterns were cracked. I, could, I was out of control. And the water all ran out. And what do we do when the water runs out? He he shows us the consequences of our sin. We're we're enslaved and we're degraded. We're enslaved by our sin when it it runs out. He he says later in the text, he says, you were not not created to be a slave, but you were made into one. You, you, You submitted yourself to slavery. They shaved your heads. Why? Because when, our, when our, our coping mechanisms, when our crutches, when they fail, we can't believe they would fail, so we just try harder and harder on them. We put more and more weight on them. They can't do that to us. Uh, Bianca and I were watching a documentary. This is from 2020. It's a new one. It was about this big art fraud thing that happened in New York, and all these billionaires were being sold fake pieces of art. And the woman who sold them, she refused to believe that she'd been selling frauds. She'd been truly conned. And, and the, uh, the director of the movie quoted a book called The Confidence Game. And, and this is fascinating to me. She said, if you've been a victim of a true con, then instead of facing the truth, we doubled down on the f- fraud." as the evidence comes in against, against you, and instead of doubting what you've been trusting and saying, wow, I was wrong, you say, no, I'm so right. She says this is a psychological process born out of cognitive dissonance when your perception of the world and evidence no longer match. What does that mean? It means when reality <laughs> conflicts with what you've put your trust in and you can't have both, you take what you believe. You need it that bad. You need your coping mechanism. You can't just give it up, right? You know, you see it in silly things like sports all the time, right? My team lost. My team loses every year. But that's because the other team cheats. You know, everybody in the nation knows that Duke basketball cheats. That's the only way they can possibly be so good. They cheat. It's not because they're better and have better athletes and are better coached. No. They cheat. My team's actually the best. And we do that with all the the things we put our trust in. Instead of facing reality that I'm not able to control everything and keep my family and myself safe, I just make my world smaller and smaller and, and lock in on what I can control. Instead of instead of believing that whatever last year as we were kept inside and we were forced to look at ugly things about ourselves and about the world around us, we saw that these things that are coping our, our control, whatever it is, your your knowledge your, your your need to perfect, your need to numb yourself to it they all failed us. It just wasn't enough. So if you coped with life by having one or two drinks at the end of a hard day, you ended up having one or two drinks every day. How how did that work out for you? If you coped with life by occasionally, you know, throwing yourself into the, uh, uh, the gaming world of video games or computer games or whatever they're called now, You ended up doing that every day for hours upon hours until you just kind of became the person that you despised. When the world was cracked, those things didn't help, and they became an uh, uh, enslaving and addiction. And then the second consequence comes in and you become degraded. Verse 20, uh, God says, I gave you freedom and you, you doubled down in your slavery and you degraded yourself. And he, he begins to s- describe how Israel degraded itself. He said, Under every tree and under every high hill, you bowed down. You, you opened yourself up for Baal, you committed adultery. Our ability to avoid pain runs out. Our our alcohol gets out of control. Our relationships fall out, fall apart. We have to make our world smaller and smaller to, to just those we think will be safe until we're just by ourselves. It doesn't have to be that way. God reminds us of the remedy for sin. He says, here I am, your fountain of living water. And that's a, an image he uses throughout the Bible. You, we saw it in our call to worship. Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me. It's a, it's a picture from, from Exodus when the, when the Israelites are out in the wilderness. And they're thirsty and they begin crying out to Moses for thirst. And Moses, uh, God says to Moses, I'm going to stand on this rock. And you take that, that staff and you hit the rock. And Moses takes his staff, the staff that God gave him, to curse things. He struck, struck the, with, the Nile with, sorry, and he turned it into blood. He took this, this, God, this rod of, of God's curse, and he struck God with it. And water began to flow from the rock. And he uses that image throughout the Bible. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we all drank from that rock. John 4, Jesus is talking to a woman at a well, and he says, If you know who I am, you would ask me for, for water, and I will give you living water. And you would never thirst again. John 7, Jesus cries out and says, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And then John describes for us, in John 19, when Jesus is on the cross and his side is pierced, The blood and water flowed. But there's something strange in this text. And this is really where I want to land. God says to us, the living water that I give is the only crutch that will leave you satisfied. But what sustains us is is our thirst for God. It's not like we come once and drink and we're done. It's in the coming. It's in the pursuing. He's always saying, come to me. He's always saying, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. It's in the walking towards him. You see, it's it's a day after day after day not of of getting satisfied and all of a sudden being able to live up here above the world and be happy forevermore. It's a day after day of trusting him and following him and walking after him. And in that process of coming to him, that's how we get our thirst quenched day in and day out in the process of coming to him. We repent of, of our own cisterns and we come to him and drink. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we, we confess that we, at the very time in life that we need this message the most, we sometimes find it the most confusing. What does it mean today for us to come after you? Does it mean reading our Bibles? Does it mean prayer? Does it mean uh, the disciplines of the Christian life? We don't know. And we confess that we just have not done a good job of of practicing those things and learning those things. And Father, we, we want to come to you. We want to experience you. And for now, we, we just say, we tell you, Lord, we confess, we thirst for you. Would you satisfy that thirst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.